turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9. Uh, as I was telling the little ones last week, we looked at Daniel's prayer. Uh, it's, it's quite a stirring prayer, a fantastic model of prayer, particularly of a prayer of repentance. Uh, we considered several things about that prayer, and this evening we're going to pick up in verse 20 of chapter 9, and we're going to see God answering that prayer we're going to work through chapter 9 from verse 20 to the end of the chapter. Uh, as I said this morning about our passage in Genesis, it's simply not possible this evening uh, to, to take a, a sort of Bible study approach to this and tease out all of the difficulties and all of the possible answers. Uh, but we are going to focus on those things that I think are clear. Remember, the book of Daniel has a, a recurring theme the sovereignty of God over the kingdoms of this world, raising them up and casting them down in the service of his redemptive plan in history. Now, his instrument of discipline with this people now under his divine judgment, but always serving him, though they do not acknowledge him. The message of Daniel is for the people of God in the midst of the tumult of redemptive history. Though we feel tossed and turned, though we are sojourners in this world, not at home, looking for a home whose builder and maker is God, though the world hates us and reviles us, God is sovereign and his plan is to save. In tonight's passage, often referred to simply as the 70 weeks of Daniel, uh, it's a deeply enigmatic passage how in the world are we to understand the 70 weeks? Is there, is there some calculation that we're supposed to go through? Do weeks equal years? And if so, how are the years calculated? Who is the prince referred to in the passage? And is there only one or are there several spoken of? The questions can seem almost endless. And it seems to get less clear as we approach the end of chapter 9. Uh, it's, uh, it's quite a difficult passage indeed. With the time we have tonight, though, I want to focus on what does seem clear. Daniel is receiving a response to his prayer of repentance and pleas for mercy for his people and for Jerusalem. Let me pray and I'll read the text this evening. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift that it is to us and that you have promised your spirit to us. Your spirit lives in us. And as such, Father, we... Uh, we rejoice to sit this evening under the reading and the preaching of your word, to be reminded of these great truths. Father, to be strengthened for difficult days that may be ahead. We pray that you would do all of these things in our hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Daniel chapter 9, beginning in verse 20. Daniel says, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you. For you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, 
to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Whatever we're to make of it, it sounds difficult, doesn't it? Uh, I want to look first at the verses 20 through 23 and the angel's response, his message that is delivered from God to Daniel. I want to focus on several things. First of all, that God answers our prayers because he loves us. Uh, Look at the way the angel addresses Daniel. Uh, The angel says uh, in verse 22, starting in the middle of the verse, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. God does not delay to answer his servant. But as soon as Daniel began to pray, an answer was sent. He says, I've come to tell you, uh, I've come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. God answers Daniel's prayer in part because of his love for Daniel. And I, I think I have been inclined growing up. Daniel was one of my favorite books. I think I was more excited about the first half of the book than the last half. But I think I've been more inclined to read this as, uh, as something particular to Daniel. But the more I've studied the more I've come to know God from his word. The less inclined I am to read it this way. Daniel is indeed greatly loved, but so is every single one of those who belong to God in Christ. We have the great privilege of coming to God in prayer. And God hears our prayers and answers our prayers in part because we are greatly loved. What confidence ought we to have as we come to God in prayer to know that uh, though we may not know exactly what to say, uh, though there may be times that in our ignorance we ask for things that are not what God has ordained, nonetheless we know that the God who hears us, hears us as a father, that he loves us dearly. I'm reminded of the the image of a child crawling up into a father's lap, the joy that the father has in in drawing the child to himself, the joy that the father has in, in holding the child and speaking to the child and hearing the child speak to him. This is the kind of relationship we're encouraged to understand is ours with God in Christ. God is certainly a judge. We're going to see that before we're done this evening. But to us, God is a father. 
because Jesus Christ has put away our sin and our guilt. And we are hidden in Him. We belong to God as His children. And He teaches us to call Him Abba, Father, to make our needs known to Him. The author of Hebrews encourages us, commands even, to enter boldly into His presence. We see Daniel go boldly to God in the previous verses to cry out to God, confessing his sin and making pleas for mercy. And God here, because Daniel is greatly loved, answers his prayer. God hears our prayers and answers our prayers, beloved, because we are loved, greatly loved by him. And that ought to be an encouragement to us. That encouragement ought to cause us to go to God in prayer all the more and going to God in prayer all the more to go with greater confidence than perhaps we have. To go believing that whatever it is that we pray, whatever it is that God answers, that He does so because He loves us. I also want to look at how God answers Daniel's prayer this evening. I think we tend to process the idea of prayer Uh, often defaulting to prayer as us asking God for something and God giving us an answer about the thing we asked for. We also tend to think that God, in, in saying that God always answers prayer, we think that the answer is always yes, no, or maybe. Uh, and instead, look at this. What, has, what is it that Daniel has prayed for? He reminds us, as we transitioned into this section tonight, verse 20, while I was speaking and praying, and what was he doing in his prayers? Confessing his sin and the sin of his people Israel and presenting his plea before the Lord God for the holy hill. That is Jerusalem. That is is God's people, his covenant. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision, arrived. God is going to answer that prayer. He's, he's cried out repenting, cried out for salvation, and God is going to answer that prayer, but the answer is neither a simple no or a simple yes. He does not say to Daniel, yeah, sure, here, here you go. What you requested, granted. Look instead at what he says in verse 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. There's two parts to that answer, and that verse 24 is a summary of the verses that follow. That's the answer to the prayer. The answer is yes. Yes. You're going to get this. The the, the repentance you have made has been accepted. You are forgiven. There's an end coming to sin. I will deliver my holy hill. But 70 weeks are decreed. I'm not doing it right now. It's not finished right now. The answer is yes, but there's an unfolding plan. Look at the verses above in a couple of different places. It says in verse 22, He made me, this is Daniel speaking of Gabriel, He made me understand. Gabriel says, 
uh, down in 23. I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Up above that, at the end of 22, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. God's answer to Daniel's prayer is to give him insight and understanding. As I was wrestling with this this week, I, uh, I was reminded over and over again of instances in Scripture where this is how God relates to his people. God uh, comes down in the form of a man, visits Abraham. Uh, you remember the three men who visited Abraham, and after visiting with Abraham, they are headed off to Sodom and Gomorrah to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for their sin. But one of the three remains standing in front of Abraham, and there's an internal dialogue that we are made privy to. That one who stands and remains with Abraham is God himself. And he says, should I tell Abraham what I'm going to do? Seeing that he is going to be, I'm going to make him a great nation. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through him. Should I tell him? And then he does. He doesn't answer his own question except to go ahead and do it. He tells him. There's a point where the disciples in Matthew come to Jesus, and there's, there's a, a hint of gentle reprimand in their conversation with Jesus. They say, you know the parable thing's not working, right? Nobody understands what you're saying. Why do you keep doing this? You can see they don't understand you, right? And do you remember Jesus' response? Jesus says, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries. But not to them. To them I speak in parables so that their eyes will be blind and their ears will be shut. And hearing they will not understand. Seeing they will not perceive. How is it that God relates to those who are his? He brings us into his plans. He says to us that we are friends. And as friends he tells us what it is that he's doing in the world. And this is what we see about how it is that God answers Daniel's prayer. It's not a simple yes, done. But it's not a no either. It's, it's absolutely a yes, but it's a yes, but 70 weeks are decreed. Daniel, come closer. Let me tell you what it is that I'm doing in the world. Brothers and sisters, he's done this with us and continues to do this with us. Now, we see, as I mentioned earlier in Matthew, he's doing it with the disciples. And this is how he does this with us. He has given us his word and his spirit that dwells in us. And that spirit at work in that word as we read the word, as the word is preached, as we memorize that word and meditate on it and study it, God is saying to us in his word, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. And he says this to us. Because he loves us, he invites us in to the plan that is unfolding in the world. God answers Daniel's prayer by inviting him in. Finally, we see, and here we're going to focus on the last group of verses in our text this evening from 24 on. God's plans include a great tumult. His people are going to go through this tumult, but the end is judgment against his enemies and salvation for his people. I, I, I have to tell you how it is that I'm reading these verses, uh, and I'm going to do it without making a defense of my reading. 
But verse 24 is a summary of the verses. This much seems clear because uh, it speaks of the 70 weeks, but in the verses that follow, it breaks those 70 weeks down into 7 and 62 and a final week, all together equaling 70 weeks. There seems to be some kind of chronological progression, but we also know that it's probably not best to read it chronologically, in part because uh, of this what we, if you've been in, in the ministry here at, uh, at All Saints for very long, you've heard us talk about this already and not yet, uh, that there are uh, promises of God that have been fulfilled, promises of God that are being fulfilled, and promises that will yet be fulfilled. And we get some sense of that in verse 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. And we can sit here, and if we carefully consider those things, there's a very real sense in which these things were accomplished in the first coming of Jesus Christ. And yet, there's a sense in which they will not be finally and perfectly accomplished until Christ comes again. What unfolds in the following verses generally understood is a description of this work in history and it's a work that is filled with conflict it's a work that is filled with conflict between those who are with God who belong to God who know God and are known by God and a conflict with them against those who are in rebellion against God but God as we said earlier in the service God sovereign over all of it. It's not that God can merely peer forward through the halls of time and anticipate what's happening. It is that God has ordained that these things will happen. All of it resulting finally in salvation and judgment. We see the salvation clearly described in verse 24. We see the judgment described in the latter verses. Desolations are decreed, and on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. The, the message seems to be this, without getting into the details. The message seems to be, that yes, salvation is coming. Yes, I will deliver my holy hill. Yes, Israel is still my people. I have a covenant people in the world and I have not abandoned this covenant people, but there's 70 weeks that must unfold between now and the end. And those 70 weeks are going to be filled with tumults. They're going to be filled with trouble And my people are going to go through this 70 weeks. They're not going to be delivered from the 70 weeks, but delivered through it. God's plans include a great tumult and his people will go through it. But the end is judgment against his enemies and salvation for his people. God gives this insight to Daniel and by extension to us in order to encourage us and to strengthen us. It's easy in the midst of trials, easy in the midst of uh, the, the suffering uh, of our faith as we encounter various trials. 
it's easy to begin wondering, does God know? Does God care? Is God at work doing something completely contrary to my good? Am I here only to suffer for his sake? Instead, we're to understand that God is at work. He's ordained all of these things. He's done them for our good, and he intends our good not only now, but ultimately intends our good in salvation so that the intention of giving us this glimpse, however difficult it might be, however murky it might be to us, God gives us this glimpse into the unfolding of redemptive history all the way up to the last day. This, these verses are not finally, they don't finally culminate merely in the first coming of Christ. They don't finally culminate merely in the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. They finally culminate in the second coming of Christ. And the 70 weeks, I, I should have said it earlier than this, but the 70 weeks are not to be calculated. We're not to determine that the weeks mean years or decades or centuries. Uh, even those traditions within evangelicalism, those traditions that take God's word seriously, they believe it is absolutely authoritative and without error, but they attempt to, to do the math here in order to anticipate when these things will happen in human history. I believe that's a misguided effort. The 70 weeks broken down into the various sets of weeks are all intended to communicate this very clear message, despite the fact that we struggle with it, that God has ordained it. It is set. He has determined it. The, the sevens that fill this passage are indications of the perfection of the work of God and the perfection of its completion. Your ESV reads 70 weeks, but the Hebrew is 70 sevens. And every time you see the word weeks in the text, it's sevens. 77, right? Or sevens, if there's 70 of them. The, the effect on particularly the, uh, the Jewish mind prior to Christ as they read their Old Testament is to, uh, to press in upon us, to impress upon us the perfection of God's work and the fulfillment of all of His promises. God has called His friend. He, he brings us in to His plans. He tells us what it is that He's doing in redemptive history, and He does it because He loves us. He does it because He wants us to know that He is indeed sovereign, that He has ordained these things, that it's not out of His control, Though it will appear to be out of his control quite often. And that's why we need to hear from him that this is his work in the world. That even those who oppose him can only in their rebellion serve his purposes. This is what's true about God's work in the world. It ought to be an encouragement to us. If we know God has ordained these things and we know he does all things well, then we do not need to fear the world or the circumstances around us or wonder if God knows or wonder if God cares or wonder if God loves. Brothers and sisters, those of us who are in Christ are greatly loved by God. And he draws us into his counsel and tells us what it is that he's doing in the world and comforts us by reminding Reminding us that though it will be difficult, He is sovereign over all these things and working them out for our good and for His glory. Let's pray.